Good morning. Welcome. I, I want you to know today I am so thankful. So thankful for the sunshine, the beautiful blue skies. I'm thankful that we can come to a beautiful, warm place where we can together, where we are welcome, we are wanted, and we are loved. Isn't it great to be here? I'm so glad you all are here today. I've got a couple of announcements for you before Michael comes up and shares the word. Number one, I have a praise report. We have two days a week that we're going to be offering small group Bible studies, and our Wednesday night class is full. Woo! We still have Saturday afternoons at 2.30 available, so if you want to join us to study in First and Second Thessalonians, feel free to sign up on the sign-up sheet or speak to myself or David. And we're going to be starting our first class on the 19th and then on the following that Saturday that follows right after that. The second thing I want to announce is next Sunday morning, which was, is going to be Easter morning, we're going to be celebrating the risen king, and we're going to be having breakfast together. We have um, a sign-up sheet for potluck food, and there's, all, there's a breakdown of whatever you would like to bring. We're going to be starting breakfast at 9 a.m., so I hope you can all join us. And it's going to be delicious and wonderful. There'll be really good food here to eat and lots of it, especially if you sign up and share in the process. I want to just say a, a quick prayer before I turn the mic over to Michael. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we give you glory. We give you thanks for this beautiful Palm Sunday morning. Lord, I ask that you would bless this time that we have together. Speak through Michael by your Holy Spirit and speak to us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Lucy. I do want to just emphasize again what Lucy said. Breakfast next Sunday. And uh, if you have something special you'd like to do for breakfast, you know, bring that. Um, Bacon. Okay, it's the 20th. It's the April 20th is the, the Wednesday. And April 23rd is the Saturday. But anyway, okay, there's like six slots for bacon back there on that sign-up sheet. So uh, it's probably not enough, but uh, bacon is wonderful. Thank you, Jesus, for the new covenant in your blood that we are no longer bound by the Old Testament dietary regulations, and we can eat bacon and sausage. So I'm not saying it's healthy to eat that stuff, but do you really want to live here on this planet forever, or would it be better just to go be with the Lord? That's what I think every slice of bacon gets me a little closer to Jesus. I am <laughs> Some of y'all think there's something wrong with me, and you're right. Uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm truly glad to see you. What a weird week. Did you get snow at your house? Snow in April. What in the world is going on? There are people who listen to this podcast all over the world, and just to clarify, it's not normal to snow in April here. We do not live at the North Pole. Uh, we wonder sometimes if we do, but we do not. Uh, it's uh, such a strange week. But uh, in the kind of that continuing the, uh, the vein of the strange, we've been in a strange passage of the Bible, no doubt. It's unusual part of the Bible. It's... Uh, these, these, this dream that Daniel had, 
Uh, we've been in the book of Daniel, and I promised you some weird stuff in the book of Daniel. I've delivered so far, I think, or the Word of God has delivered, and it just keeps on going like it is. Last week, we saw how Daniel had this dream of these four fantastic beasts. Maybe you remember what they were. There was a lion and a bear and a leopard, and then there was this creature so strange and horrible that Daniel really couldn't compare it to anything else, and Somebody last week said it looks like one of them weird dog things from that Ghostbusters movie. And it kind of did. I don't know. It's, you know, it's kind of hard to, to put a name on it. Daniel couldn't compare it to anything. So all of this is, is strange. And if it seems a bit confusing, then you're in good company. Because Daniel himself really didn't understand all of this. He only stood, understood parts of it. it this is a part of the bible we don't hear that much about probably because it is unusual but i'm convinced that every part of the bible is there for a reason every part of the bible can teach us something to change our lives in a positive way it's all a lesson there somewhere and i think there's quite a bit of encouragement and hope here so daniel knew that these four fantastic beasts represented these four world empires he only lived to see two of them he only lived to see Babylon and Persia. But after that came Greece and Rome. Now, all that's very interesting. Do we have any history people in here? Any history? I would more than I thought. Okay. So, yeah, history people like, oh, that's really cool. Now, the rest of everyone else is like, you know what? We are putting up with this for the history people because we love the history people. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. So why, we might ask, why would it be important of all the empires that have ever been, why would God bother to specifically enshrine these in prophecy? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is something that is a big deal to all of us, whether we're history buffs or not. These four world empires played a big part in the story of getting the good news of Jesus to you and to me. They weren't just empires that rose and fell because they were so clever or so good god had a purpose god allowed the babylonian empire to rise to power because they would purify his people for the first time in history the jewish people were finally finally serious about god and never turned back to idols after that the persian empire came next and god used the persian empire to to give them a fresh start in the promised land the temple was rebuilt and now they're able to worship freely there God allowed Greece to rise up so that there could be a language that was widely spoken all over the what was called the, quote, civilized world at the time. So when the New Testament was written, you know what language they wrote it in? Greek. And then he allowed the Romans to come to power because they were the biggest bullies on the playground. And because they owned everything, it was safe to travel and they also built roads. So just in time for Jesus to arrive... We now have a world where the good news of our Lord and Savior, of Jesus, can be spread all over. And it's spread down through history to us all these years later in a little corner of southwest Virginia. Of all places, the gospel made it right here, the good news about Jesus. So you don't, you don't have to be a theologian and you don't have to be a historian to appreciate the fact that the good news that there is life and hope and salvation and renewal and forgiveness in Jesus made it to us. God does have a plan. Um, this week I am extra glad that we have a God who cares. Um, God 
orchestrated the flow of human history so we could get to know him through his son. Do you ever feel like you're just a little speck in the universe? Did you ever look up sometime at the stars and think, wow, the universe is such a huge place, and I'm just this, this little you know, this little dot of anxiety and cholesterol here on planet Earth trying to make it through, why would God care about me, the little speck? Well, God does care about the speck. When He sees you, He doesn't see a little speck in the universe. He sees someone He created, someone He wants to know, someone He wants to love, someone He wants not just uh, the relationship with of say, a master to a servant, but someone who he wants a relationship that is a a father to a child. Not everybody gets a good, healthy, strong father relationship on this planet, but everyone can have a father. Everyone can have a father in Father God. And in a church family, you can find fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and and whatever was not there you can find that in a church family i'm so thankful that he cares about us that history culminates in his connection with us that's too much for me to understand that he's doing so much of this so we'll connect with him and he cares about us so i'm extra glad um anybody uh Anybody else feel like they're carrying a lot these days? You ever feel like you're carrying quite a lot? I see some faces right now. You feel like you're carrying quite a lot. God cares about that. And he's here to help us. So we have the promise that someday he's going to come down here and he's going to straighten out all this mess. And you say, what mess, preacher? And I say, where you been? Where you been? I mean, there's a lot of mess. I don't care how you think things ought to be run in the world, you're probably not happy with how the world's being run. No matter you know what party you vote for, or which way you feel or lean, everybody can look at the world and say, boy, we've got a real mess here. Someday the Lord Jesus is going to come back and He is going to bring His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth, and it's going to be a much different place. And all tragedy and sadness and pain is going to be replaced by peace and joy and plenty. That's going to be nice. You've heard that maybe, that that good times are coming, but you've probably also heard that it's going to get worse before it gets better. I grew up in in an era of church history. The 90s is a historical era now. (laughs) What's up with that? If you read like a novel that's written in the 90s, it's called a historical fiction now. What? So, yeah, it just keeps getting worse from here. Uh, so I grew up in a time period where people talked a lot about like end times prophecies because like the left behind books were coming out. Maybe some of y'all remember them, the left behind books, you know, pretty inter. Actually, I think we have most of them on the shelf over here. All of them are on the shelf over here. If you want to borrow and read them, they're actually, they're pretty good, but it was lots and lots of people were talking about this time called the tribulation period. And it is very interesting. You know, it's that time, that seven year period of judgment and, and, uh, right before the Lord comes back and. And um, I want to be very plain with you that I think we have the strongest biblical evidence to show us that that believers will not be present for that. And I know not everybody sees it that way, and I'll be glad to to tell you why I believe the way I believe on that. We'll have that conversation. 
So uh, th- those days, you know, during those days, you probably heard that the devil's going to raise up a leader. The Antichrist, we know him as. And what book of the Bible do we most associate with the end times and the Antichrist and all that? Revelation. Revelation. Like everybody's like, hey, do a study on Revelation, Pastor, and I have. But do you know the prophet who first discussed the subject of the end times and the Antichrist and all that? It was Daniel. Like 600 years before John, it was Daniel. And we're going to get into some of that today. So we're going to pick up in Daniel 7, 7. I'm just going to read one verse to start with, and then we'll stop and pray. We'll, we'll cover a lot more ground. So let's do this. After, I saw in the no- after this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I'm going to stop there and pray. Lord, when we read scripture like this, it can feel so strange and maybe even uncomfortable. The symbolism and, the, and all these things that are outside of our experience. So I pray now you'll really open it up to us. Through your Holy Spirit, give us an understanding. And help us not just understand the facts here, but understand what it really means to us that you have foreseen all of this in Jesus name. Amen. So um last week we we already established that this fourth beast is the the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire um and that was the last one, the one that was in power when Jesus was born, dominated the world from about 30 years before Jesus was born and the last remnant of the Roman Empire hung around until like the 1400s, long-lasting empire. And uh, Rome wasn't really replaced by a stronger power. It fell apart. It fizzled. And uh, we talked about this up to the point where the the ten horns are mentioned. These ten horns. Uh, Go ahead and put that ugly, awful picture up. Yeah, that's terrible. That thing's gross looking. So, I don't know. We don't know what the thing looked like in Daniel's dream. And and, and (laughs) I won't keep it up there for too long, okay? I don't want to wig you out. This is just a, just a depiction of it. There were these ten horns that came up on this beast that, that represents Rome. Now back in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of a statue and the feet of the statue were part of the Roman Empire. How many toes on them feet? Ten. Ten toes, ten horns. Is this a coincidence? It is not. Um, in the Bible, horns are symbols of power, units of power, specifically like a king or a kingdom. And Daniel's going to say that straight out. That's not just me guessing. Daniel's going to say it specifically that these horns represent kings and kingdoms. So has there ever been a ten-part Roman kingdom? Not yet. But uh, Bible scholars do believe it's coming. Uh, during the tribulation period, it's, the world's going to be in chaos Horrible, horrible chaos, and there will be some kind of order rising out of the chaos. I know lots of people today talk about, well, hey, there's going to be this new world order or one world government. I don't know if that will happen in this time, but in the days of the tribulation, something like that will happen. Uh, there will be something like uh, a revival of the Roman Empire with ten parts. So let's now, let's take this off the screen and let's read Daniel 7, 8. And after verse 8, we're going to jump down to verse 21 to talk about the, the place where Daniel tells us what it means. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and mouth speaking pompous words. Weird visual, right? There's like a, another horn that pops up, and 
and takes out three. It's, what does all this mean? He's about to tell us. Down at verse 21. I was watching in the same horn, was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. Then the ten horns, who are ten what? Kings. And another uh, uh, who rise up from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be different than the first ones, and he will subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, and persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to time, change the times and the law, and the saints will be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. So Daniel here is watching this, and, and I think we do have another little close-up picture there. Daniel is watching this dream, and uh, you like that? Duncan approves of this illustration. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you, Duncan. I appreciate your, your confidence in me. Um, so uh, what's happening here is another horn pops up on this strange beast, because that's what it needed, another horn, right? I mean, it already had ten. And as it comes up, it plucks up three other horns, and we get the clarification that this is another king who arises, who wasn't a part of the original ten, who takes the power in the kingdom of the three of the original ten kings. Um, okay, this, this is weird. Can I get a thumbs up on that? You say with me, this is weird. This is weird. If I was writing the Bible, actually it'd probably still be weird. Uh, just be weird in a different way if I wrote it. Just be weird, you know. This is the kind of weird that God chose. I'm so glad that God likes a little bit of weird. Because that person sitting beside you, they're weird. Now, you're normal. You're normal, but the person beside you, there's something strange about them. <clears throat> no, God loves, God loves a little bit of difference. I'm so thankful. We have all the many flowers of the earth because God likes variety. I'm thankful for that. So, um, the imagery here of horns and kings, it's, it's weird, but it is consistent in the Bible. Now, let's go to Revelation 13.1. I... I no, I'm jumping out of order here, but I want to read this to you. Okay, we had a little musical interlude there. Interlude there. There should be Revelation 13:1 somewhere in there. Okay, never mind then. I'll just read it to you. Revelation 13:1 says, "Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its horns ten crowns." And on his head, a blasphemous name. All right, so there's a beast. It's got how many heads? Seven. But how many horns? Ten. How many crowns? Ten. And uh, ten kings minus three kings equals seven. So there's still ten kingdoms, but it's only seven heads. Why? Because the Antichrist has taken over the rest. That beast represents the Antichrist. And he'll rise up as a charismatic leader during the tribulation period. So... And he'll, he'll speak against God, he'll speak against God's people, and he will be given power for a time and times and half a time. And that's a poetic way of saying one year, two years, and half a year, so three and a half years. How long is the tribulation period supposed to last? Seven years, what's half of that? Three and a half. So yeah, the Antichrist will kind of rule the world for three and a half years. It's all back here in the book of Daniel, way before 
John and Revelation ever heard anything about it. And all this is really interesting, right? It's interesting. It, it is. It's amazing that Daniel was, this was revealed to Daniel so long ago. But at some point, we do begin to ask the question, why should we care about it right now? Why should we care? I told you I, I grew up in a time period where they were making all these movies and stuff about the end of time and all of that. Uh, because people back in the 90s thought things were so bad. <laughs> wow, they didn't know anything about now, did they? I guess it always seems like, it always seems that way, that right now is really hard and the past was better. That's because we've forgotten a lot of the bad stuff that happens. I've been told that uh, once you raise your kids, you look back on it like, ah, that wasn't so hard, but when you're in the midst of raising your kids... Um, it seems a little harder. Now, my kids, I'm very thankful for them. They're, they're good kids, and, and uh, they don't need any help going to the bathroom or anything. Like some of you still got kids that you're having to take to the bathroom. That's a lot more work. I'm thankful we're past that stage. But, you know, um, boy, do I ever get off track sometimes. Let me find out where I was. The thing is, you know, back in those days, they were always making these movies about the end of time and stuff. Ah, this is going to be the end of days, the last days, and... And it kind of fizzled out because they're like, okay, this is interesting. It is, but we got to live here and now. We live here and now when it isn't the end of the world. It just feels like it sometimes. We got to live right here. So how can this help us right here? All right, well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. Let me ask you this. Does it ever feel like you're carrying too much? Yeah? Does it ever feel like the world is just a little too unpredictable for you? Does it, does it ever feel like the world is just a little too messed up? Like, why is it so out of control? For me and my family, it's felt that way. You know, the last couple of years have felt very stressful for us. You know, we're, you know, concerned about Katie's health and all in the midst of a pandemic. Very stress. It was stressful for us before that. It just added to it. And uh, that little bit of stability sounds nice, doesn't it? I think that's why it is so easy to, like, sit down somewhere and play some stupid game on a phone. Not because you even like it. It's because you don't have to think about the things that are bothering you at the moment. That's why people during the pandemic have watched The Office like 45 times through, uh, that didn't happen at our house at all. Mm. Um, because why? Because you don't have to think that much. It's just familiar. You like it. It's, it's you know, and then you wear that out and you, you go on and watch Parks and Rec, which is, um, if the office is Dr. Pepper, Parks and Rec is Mr. Pibb. I mean, that's just, you know, it's that little bit of the thing there. Uh, some of you are like, what are any of these shows? I'm at home praying and reading my Bible all the time. <laughs> And polishing my halo. I haven't watched anything on Netflix the whole time. So God bless you guys. And please write a book about how to, how to live perfectly for the Lord. Um, it has been a crazy ride the last few years. And in this scripture, we see a crazy ride with these empires rising and falling. And then we get to the tribulation. Well, just when you think it's bad, there's a tribulation period. And then we get the powerful reminder. We get a view inside the throne room of God and reminds us exactly where God is and that God's got this. God's got this. 
No matter how out of control the world may seem sometimes, God's got this. No matter how difficult your life may seem sometimes, God's got this. No matter how heavy the load feels, God's got this. So won't you turn to somebody near you and just tell them, God's got this. God's got this. He's got this. That crazy thing going on at your job, God's got this. That drama going on in your family, don't act like your family don't have drama. God's got this. God's got it. Will everything work out the way that has your seal of approval? Maybe not, but God's got this. So let's just, let's just read this. Uh, verse 9, Daniel, I do have that, don't I? Hey, look at that. A little bit of competence on my part. I knew I could pull it off. Is it there? Oh, well, so much for that. Verse 9 says, sorry, I watch till thrones are put in place. Is that a plural or a singular? Singular. Thrones uh, with an S. More than one. Thrones are put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. And his garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head was, white, was like pure wool. And his throne was like a fiery flame. And its wheels of burning fire. And a fiery stream issued. And it came from before, forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And I watched because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched until the beast was slain and his body destroyed in the burning fire. Wow, that's, that's pretty rough. So verse 9 that uh, apparently I didn't get up here uh, says that there are thrones. And where is God seated? On the throne. Where is God? On the throne. What's a throne? Throne's a symbol of authority. He's still the king, right? As crazy as the world gets, God's still on the throne. In other words, God's got this. He's got this. Even in the midst of things that we don't even have a category for, because we don't know anything about trouble, like the tribulation period will be, God's got this. And what's the name that he is called by? Verse 9 says he's the Ancient of Days. What a great name. The Ancient of Days. It's a way of expressing that God was here before anything, and He'll be here after everything, and all this that we know is just, it's all contained within the timeline that He sees all at once. God is not surprised. He sees it all from the beginning. And for him, there's no beginning with Him. He's, just always, he's always been. Wrap your mind around that if you can. There's nothing that is not under His authority. Nothing gets out of His control. We may feel like things are out of control. And they're always out of our control. Control is an illusion. Most of the time, about the time we think we got it in control, what happens? Something comes along and shows us we're not in control. But God is in control. So we see God here. We get a little picture of God here in the throne room. Throne room. We see him as this colossal figure seated on a throne. Um, I do want to make it clear that God is not just some old cosmic white dude with a big beard. That's not who he is. He is not a physical being at all. He is spirit. He is. Uh, he doesn't have a form, but. Once in a while in the Bible, we see him presented in something like this. Daniel was not the only one who saw God seated on the throne. John would see him seated on the throne. Isaiah saw him seated on the throne. I think Ezekiel too. There's been some others. 
Is that because God really is a being confined to one spot and sitting on a throne? Not so much as he's, he's everywhere and all at once. And I don't want to get too crazy deep. I just want you to know that God is so much more than what the Renaissance painters present him as, as just a guy chilling on a cloud. He is so much more than that. He's pictured here dressed in white, and his hair is white. It's not because of his age, because age means nothing to him. It's because of his purity and his holiness. He's full of light. The throne is depicted as being burning with fire, and a stream of something like fire is coming out of his mouth. That's an image that I've never seen depicted in art. That, the Renaissance painters missed that one. That would be amazing to see. Uh, we see that um, God's throne is described in verse 9 as having wheels. Does God's throne have wheels? It says the wheels are a, a burning fire. So you're going to ask, is God in a wheelchair? No. Is God Professor X from the X-Men? No, he is not. Uh, he is so much more than that. It's probably a symbol of how his throne is not stationary, so his judgment is not confined to one space. It's probably symbolic of how his judgment can, can, be, world, can be everywhere all at once. So uh, uh, weird imagery, I get it. So we read here that thousands... Uh, I've got Daniel 9. Is that what I put up? That's not, even, that's not even supposed to be there at all. It was supposed to be Daniel 7. So, anyway. <laughs> missed that one. Sorry. The thing I said about competence, scratch that out of your notes. Uh, that was only an illusion of control that I had for a little while. So, anyway. Uh, we read that thousand, a thousand thousand serve him. Um, do you think Daniel counted up a million people? Like, okay, a thousand, let's be poetic about it and put a thousand values. No, he didn't. He just said, there's so many I can't count them. And uh, those are probably the angels serving before the throne of God. He says 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Do you think Daniel counted 100 million and wrote down 10,000 times 10,000 because that sounded better? No, it's just an uncountable number. And these are probably the believers in heaven at the time of judgment. Uh, verse 9 said, there's, remember, there's not just one throne, but thrones. And we're about to see the court seated here. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians 6 says, believers will join the Lord in judging the world. So when it talks about the court in heaven being seated in these thrones... Who is it? It's the believers. It's you if you follow Jesus. You're, you're made for a throne. You belong on a throne. Now here is your opportunity to get some brownie points with the person sitting beside you. You just look at them with the most respect you can muster in your eyes and you say, you belong on a throne. I've said it all. So you're not availing yourself of this opportunity I'm giving you right now. I'm disappointed in you guys. Tell them you belong on a throne. Don't belong. You belong on a throne. You're welcome. And you say, if I belong on a throne, does that make me a king? And can we go to Burger King after this? And then we go to Dairy Queen next, since we're so 
Royal. Actually, um, I'm not sure where the nearest Dairy Queen is now. Oh, how sad. We're a town without a Dairy Queen. You think McDonald's uh, ice cream machine is working? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Get you an Oreo McFlurry and just draw a crown on it. So, All right, so the books are open and the judgment begins, and we're specifically told how the Antichrist will be judged, the little horn, and... Um, uh, Revelation 19 uh, says the Lord Jesus is going to come back in power and he's going uh, to whip the Antichrist, toss him into the lake of fire. Hey, it's good, great, fantastic. That's interesting. Yes. Um, but here's kind of what um, is good for us. After this, that is the end of all human empires. And the Lord will reign over the earth. Okay. Do you ever get frustrated with the government? Some of you perfectly satisfied? I hope they don't ever call me up and say, Hey, what kind of a job do you think everybody up in government's doing? Because I ain't going to cut nobody no slack. I don't care donkeys or elephants or any of them are going to get a whooping from me. Because, look, even, even the best human governments get off track aren't you glad we don't have to spend eternity dealing with politicians thank you jesus we'll have a king and that'll be enough so uh what takes his place is not another earthly kingdom it's the kingdom of heaven and let's do hope that i have daniel 7 13 7 verses 13 and 14 in there let's just say look at that it happens i got the right verse in there so now we'll read this He's got the right verse up there i was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and then he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him his dominion and his everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom the one which will not be destroyed the son of man is this person the Son of Man. Go to verse 13, please, if you will. Just leave it on verse 13. One like the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? We can see He's not just a mortal man. He's not a Son of Man in the sense that, you know, I'm a human being and I'm the, the son of my parents. He's something more than this. He's given the whole earth. He's given everything in the earth. Every person is His kingdom. And his empire, unlike these others, is going to last forever. The people who came, who read this, this was originally given to the Jewish people who were in Babylon and Persia. When they read this, they didn't understand it at first. But the more they studied it, you know what they concluded? That this Son of Man must be the same as the Messiah that was promised, the Savior that was going to come from the Lord. They saw this as a messianic title. So when they were looking for the Messiah to come, they were looking for the Son of Man. And when Jesus arrived, do you happen to know his favorite way to refer to himself? Over 80 times in the Gospel, he called himself the Son of Man. As you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look for that. He call, Again and again, he calls himself the Son of Man. Why does he call himself the Son of Man? You ever read that and that struck you as unusual? Why would he call himself the Son of Man instead of the Son of God? Well, by calling himself the Son of Man, he's claiming to be this person we see in Daniel chapter 7. 
who is much more than a human being. He is Son of God and one with God in a very real and powerful way. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and he backed it up. It's one thing to claim to be the Messiah. It's another thing to back it up like Jesus did. You know, you perform all those miracles. You predict your own death, burial, and resurrection. Then you pull off the trick. You know, that's pretty darn convincing. He con- he's convincing in that way. So this chapter, we're coming to the end now. There's no denying it's It's strange. And you showed up at church and said, hey, Michael, I've stuck with you through these wild animals and beasts and stuff. I don't know if we're going to do, you know, we're going to keep doing this. No, next week is Easter, and I'll take a break from the weirdness, and we'll talk about normal stuff for Easter. Deal? Sound good? Okay, some of you are not convinced. You're just like, I'll believe you're not weird when I see it, preacher man. But uh, come, we'll show up, and and let's find out. So um, it is strange, and there's a reason why you don't, hear this preached on it's it's weird but it's encouraging it reminds us that no matter what goes on in the world no matter what kingdoms rise or fall no matter what leaders rise or fall no matter even if the world really is coming to the end no matter how out of control life can feel god's got this maybe that's why you are here today to hear that god's got this I don't know what you're carrying, but this much I do know. Everyone in this room is carrying stuff that no one else quite understands. You walked in here with some burdens on you that other people don't see, they don't get, even the people who are closest to you. So here's what I'm telling you. God's got this. God's got this. And then the next thing that happens, God's got this. So right now, think of the things that you've been carrying, the things that, that have been weighing on you, and just give it to God. God's got this. God's got this. When the whole world seems crazy, just remember, He's got the whole world in His hands. You remember that? He's got you and me, brother, in His hands. He's got you and me, sister, in His hands. He's got everybody in His hands. He's got the whole world in His hands. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank You so much for the message that even the troubles of this world and the empires that rise and fall and the things that we see that frustrate us cannot stop Your plan that someday You're bringing peace. And that peace doesn't have to wait until sometime off in the future. We can have peace in the midst of a world that is not peaceful. And we give you the glory right now. We pray for our Easter services that you would anoint them with your power. That you would bring everyone who's supposed to be a part of it. And that, that people would be, be moved, Lord. That you'd work in ways that cannot be explained apart from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So next week. Uh, what time is breakfast next week? Starting at 9. What do you need to do? Bring stuff. Bring yourself. You know what? If... Like a lot of people show up and there's like no food. There's a Hardee's across the street. We will not go hungry, okay? We'll have hot coffee and food and it's going to be fantastic. And uh, Easter calories don't count. So uh, we'll pray the calories right out of that bacon sausage. And I hope somebody will sign up to bring gravy. Because gravy is the best stuff there ever is. You know... I heard a preacher say this past week 
that uh, you know that grease in the bottom of the pan doesn't look too good. And if you just take a spoonful of that, it's probably not good for you. But uh, you give it to the right cook, and they make it into gravy. And you know that? That's kind of how God works. The mess in our life that doesn't look so good, God can turn it into gravy. All right, I'm going to leave you with that. God bless y'all. I'll see you next week for Easter. Take care.